Welcome to this recording of the Activist Lawyer Podcast, brought to you from the Granite Podcast Studio in the heart of Newry City. We are delighted that you could join us at Activist Lawyer, where we will be discussing a range of topical matters engaging not only with lawyers, but people who are committed to highlighting and combating injustices and inequalities. We will bring you our thoughts, but invite you to share yours. We'll be looking for contributors to our blog at activistlawyer.com, as we want your perspective as we unravel and unpack a host of issues. My name is Sarah Henry and I'm a solicitor practising in Uri City. I worked with a human rights firm in Dublin for many years and with a number of rights-based organisations and charities. I'm looking forward to meeting some fantastic guests throughout this series. So hello everybody, thank you again for joining us today. I'm in the studio here with Jack. Hello everybody. And today's recording is uh, something a little bit different. We had Aoife Clements, who is the founder of 5050NI. Mm-hmm. How did you find Yeah, it was, uh, it was very uh, educational. Um, sometimes we get lost in the, the whole topic yeah. of uh, gender and politics. And because yeah. we're led, Northern Ireland was led by two women, you kind of forget yeah. everyone below that. So it was good. It was educational. What do you focus on? So Jack took a lot away with him. I have to say I did too. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you take it for granted that you know people or you've worked in organisations before. But Aoife is really at the forefront now of establishing something new in Northern yeah. Ireland. It's very exciting. She's very, very passionate yeah, yeah. and very well informed and she's involved in so many different areas and d- different issues. So I think again, like many of our guests before, she's just somebody very inspirational yeah. and she gives lots of good advice at the end, of course, when we ask about activism and hopefully she inspires a few of our listeners. Um, just to give a bit of context to it, Aoife Clements, as we said, is the actual founder of 5050 NI. She said she found it during the pandemic yeah something good coming out of the pandemic i feel so useless (laughs) (laughs) i just whinged the entire time i cooked you cooked and ran and (laughs) i whinged so um it's nice to have somebody who actually was proactive and is doing something very very meaningful with their lives and um, also helping others as well so eva has a background in politics and women's rights She's passionate about gender equality, which is very evident, including women in the legislative procedure, which is her main area of interest. Eva has earned her BA in anthropology, which is very interesting, and law from the London School of Economics and has a master's in sociocultural anthropology from Durham University. I think she sees herself more as an anthropologist as well, taking strands of the law and her experience in that too. And she's currently due to commence a PhD in September. So she's very, very busy. So we're so grateful for her for taking time out to join us. And we hope you enjoy today's recording. All right. So thank you so much, Aoife, for joining us here today at Activist Lawyer. Thanks so much for having me. Brilliant. So we gave a little bit of a background there into Aoife's work. But um, I wonder, could you explain a little bit more to our listeners about the organisation that you set up and maybe your background as well, how you got there. Yeah, so 5050 and I is a new organisation I've set up just to encourage more women to get into politics and at all levels as well. That's really important. So from councillor all the way up to MP. Um, and we want to do that by giving women like the confidence, the skills and the knowledge that they need to get into politics. So our big thing that we want to do this year is set up some training uh, workshops um, to give women, like I said, the confidence and then also a little bit political education, how it all works, you know, how, how do you get selected, just all the knowledge that you need to get into politics and then also awareness raising because 
I think in Northern Ireland we've kind of struggled because we've had a woman first minister and a Debbie first minister. So everyone mm-hmm. thinks that that isn't an issue here, but it actually is when you look at the numbers. <laughs> so awareness reason just to say like there's not enough women in politics and we really need to have our voices heard. So yeah, that's what we that's what we're trying to do. Brilliant. Um, and then. God, how did I start it? <laughs> I was not interested in politics at all when I was a teenager or even like I was like 20. I ashamed to say it, but I didn't care about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first went to uni, I did engineering and I didn't like it and I dropped out. And then I just randomly decided to do a law degree. I was like, anthropology, we'll do that with it. That'll make it interesting. <laughs> Don't know what that is, but okay. Sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then in like second year I took a legal anthropology class and it was about you know like different perspectives to the law and like a socio-legal yeah. class and we did a week on like feminist approaches to the law and I swear that one class like changed my life I was like oh my god the world is so sexist <laughs> everything is terrible <laughs> this is horrible and then ever since then I just like women in the legislative procedure it's just something yeah. I'm really interested in and like specifically how that affects women in their everyday life like how does that affect working class women you know mm-hmm. um so i've always been really interested in that and i had the idea to start the organization for ages but then you know we didn't have a government in northern Ireland for so long and exactly yeah, yeah um and then last year coronavirus i didn't have a job and i was like i'm just gonna do this and my partner was like do it if you don't do it now you'll never do it kind of thing Brilliant. so yeah i've just been working on it since then god every cloud that that you're very proactive then <laughs> during coronavirus and you've also attracted you know people who are very supportive I guess of the organization yeah and it's such a live issue particularly at the moment and you have so many models and different um governments and different political settings to look to for um I suppose um research and you know trying to improve things here and we are recording this about a week or so after Arlene Foster, who was the first Minister of Northern Ireland, left her post. Mm. So again, I guess your organisation will play into that a little bit as well in terms of the commentary around it. But before we get to that, just I suppose in general, why do we do we still need organisations like 5050 NI? I mean, you, in general there you said, yes, we did have a f- Deputy First Minister woman mm-hmm. and a First Minister woman. That seems good, doesn't it? It seems like everything's <laughs> fine. But why do we need to push this message forward still? And, you know, we're aware Ireland probably are in the same boat um, mm. when it comes to political... Yeah, I think we need to push the message forward for like two main reasons. So the first main reason is that the numbers are not there. We need to be at 50% because okay. like realistically, women are 50% of the population. So we should be 50% of the elected representatives. Um, I don't really think you can call yourself a true democracy unless you have like a representative. representative yeah. yeah. Um, and then secondly, we need organisations like 50-50 for giving women the co- confidence seems to be the biggest barrier. Mm-hmm. Like um, we do bi-monthly interviews with women in politics for 50 and I on the blog and every single woman I've spoken to in politics has said I wouldn't have done this if X, Y, or Z hadn't encouraged me. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't mm. think I was smart enough or qualified. Just everyone says some variation of that. Like mm-hmm. women really don't have the confidence. And that's what I really, really want to do is give women the confidence. And I think that comes from having the knowledge and mm. realizing that like anyone can be a politician as long as they are in it for the right reasons and they want to make a change and help people, you know? Absolutely. And I suppose while we do have fantastic role models out there, I suppose people are still, you know, dealing with, perceived barriers mm. to progressing uh-huh. in, in that world. But Jack, you've been looking into this a little bit as well. Yeah, just look uh, at the numbers that you have been putting out. Obviously, we've done a bit of research before that. And I know you were saying about Arlene Foster and Michelle O'Neill. They're the the top two 
representatives in Northern Ireland kind of that skews everybody's view of mm-hmm. yeah. uh, women and women in politics, especially in Northern Ireland, because you think, God, if there's two women leading the two biggest parties in Northern Ireland, then it mustn't be that bad. But obviously, looking at the statistics, um, especially on the fifty fifty website that you have put out, um, it shows that twenty six percent of local councillors are women. And thirty-seven percent of mayors are women, and then if we look closer at home, thirty-three percent of the MLAs in Northern Ireland are women, and then twenty-two percent of NIMPs are women as well. So the numbers, even though two women are lead, the, well, did lead the two mm-hmm. biggest parties, the numbers below that are just completely, mm-hmm. completely underrepresented. Yeah, the numbers are just not there. Uh, oh, actually, interestingly, though, in the last election for Northern Ireland, women were basically elected at the same rate they were put on the ballot. So I think like 24% of the candidates or something like that were women, and then 22% of the candidates that were elected were women. Mm-hmm. So it, it really shows that there's not a problem at the ballot box. Like it's people the entry are, in. Yeah, people right. are willing to vote for women, but there just aren't women on the ballots, you know? So that's interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. So Aoife, where is the evidence that more women will benefit, you know, our democracy? What, are, what is your research based on? What other models have you been looking at to, to kind of prove... Your, your aims of the organisation? Uh, yes, yeah, so there's lots of evidence in academia and um, from think tanks and there's actually a really great study by, done by Oxfam and Bridge on quotas and getting women into mm. politics and how it benefits everyone. And um, Women have definitely shown to be better at spending on health and education and social care. Um, there was a great d- study done where from... 1979 till 2009 in Canada, the number of women in politics increased from 4% to 25%. And over that time, the mortality rate for all reasons in Canada decreased by 37.5%. And that like relationship still existed when you controlled for other factors. So Mm -hmm. like women definitely, they they contribute to a healthier population, which is great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they're better spending education and just getting girls into school. Like in Rwanda, they're the leader at women in politics. And ever since they've increased the women in politics, Mm -hmm. girls now go to school, primary school at the same rate as boys in Rwanda, which is great. Um, so it, it's it's not just good for like getting women's rights on the agenda. No. It's just it's good for everyone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It benefits everybody. And what about decision making though? Is there any research around that? Um, and I'm thinking of one particular person, Jacinta Ardern in New Zealand, around COVID and other women yeah. leaders as well. I think I could be wrong, but I think there was kind of very quick decisions being made there, and yeah. therefore the countries ended up in a very different environment than we perhaps are. Yeah, I think that the COVID like phenomenon and the women leaders really like sparked an interest into women and their Mm. decision making and it showed that women are less risk averse when it comes to um the economy so women are they they prioritize people basically so with Jacinda Ardern and other leaders during coronavirus we saw that they were more willing to lock down early to save lives Mm -hmm. and and worry about the economy later because lives were the priority for them Mm -hmm. and and it worked I mean they had what like half the mortality rate Mm -hmm. that other countries had it's fascinating yeah yeah you've seen that and you're saying that the pandemic did highlight that because you've seen especially at the start of COVID there was articles going out every every day about how women leaders significant and Germany as well they did so much better than the UK and it was five or six countries were just highlighted who had women leaders how Mm -hmm. much they did better than the countries who were led by men yeah and there was really great research done in that to sort of debunk the myth that it was just these 
just a few random countries that just happened yeah. to be yeah. run by women. It yeah. was like a, a study was done and they paired them up with similar countries population wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like New Zealand was paired with Ireland, etc. And it showed that like, yeah, having a woman leader actually was the determining factor there. It wasn't just random. It didn't just mm-hmm. happen to be that, oh, Germany did well, but it wasn't because they had a woman yeah. leader. You know, like it actually yeah. was. Yeah, it was. I think that's so interesting. And then I think of myself, I'm the worst person at making any <laughs> decisions. I would not want that to fall on my head. But yeah, absolutely great job. And I think it's great for your organization as well that you have these yeah. live you know significant examples of women who work in politics yeah. and how it works so well so that's fantastic and just around I suppose other countries as well I worked a little bit um on this years ago in Dublin with the Women's Council mm-hmm. you could see how things were working around women in leadership and encouraging them into politics but where do you look what countries do you look at maybe for you know exemplary yeah um it's really really interesting it's, it's such an interesting topic yeah. because the way to get more women into politics it is so vast and so different so like out of the top countries of women in politics i think about 15 or 20 of them have some kind of quota but the type of quota that you use really depends on okay. your political context so for if you have a first past the post electoral system then um reserved seats work quite well for you but if you live in a country that, say, for some reason isn't willing to elect women, then a closed list system might work better for you. Like, mm-hmm. it really depends. And then, like, there's some evidence to say that authoritarian countries are better at getting more women into politics. Right. So it's just, <laughs> it really depends on it your, depends. Yeah. the context. So for, like, Northern Ireland, we have really higher than normal, average, like, safe seats. Like, I think, like, 77% of our seats are considered safe. So I personally think that then all women shortlist would work well mm-hmm. for that because we know that you're probably going to win that seat or, you know, like out of two parties are likely to win a particular seat or, you know, because the way that Northern Ireland is. And the All Women Shortlist works really well because Scotland just had their election last week Mm -hmm. and they now have 45% women Women. in the Scottish Parliament, which is amazing. And they also have elected a woman of colour and a disabled woman. So they're Mm -hmm. doing really well. And it's because the SNP and other parties take a really proactive approach to getting women on the ballot. Like the SNP ran All Women Shortlist in nine of their seats. So it shows that, like, yeah, they have great numbers, but it's because people are making the effort. It's mm-hmm. not okay. just happening. Yeah. So it's about being proactive. Yeah. And it's it's not just about not creating barriers as such. It's about going out there and making sure that yeah. you're inclusive as yeah. possible. And inclusivity, of course, I includes women and yeah, women I think from gen- different. Oh, <laughs> I think it's twofold because quotas, they're really good at, like, acting as, like, a springboard to get right. women into politics. Mm-hmm. But they also, like you just said, they don't remove barriers. Yeah. They don't remove the need for maternity leave. They don't remove sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. They don't remove, like violence against women online mm-hmm. um and also you don't necessarily need quotas because i think four or five of the countries in the top 20 don't have any quotas they okay. just interesting happen to mm. be really good at like the seychelles cuba and finland all do really well and they don't have quotas it's so. co- see with quotas sometimes when you're reading online could it be seen as like a, f- a fake equ- like a fake way to get equality like a box ticking like a box ticking, almost. yeah instead mm-hmm. of actually bringing down the, w- the reasons why women aren't getting into politics. I think th- it's like handy to do it both ways yeah. because like I said, the quotas work as a nice springboard mm-hmm. because also one of the barriers is not seeing women in politics. Yeah. So if you get more women into politics mm-hmm. and then you'll see women, girls start to think, I could do that too. Yeah. And then also I think it just, like men 
have a leg up. Yeah. Like it's a social leg up. So why not try and level the playing field yeah. with the quota? You yeah, know, yeah. it's yeah. not like women are getting this unfair advantage. Men have had an unfair advantage for millennium. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. So the two work in different ways, I guess. Yeah. It, so that's it's best to work them together, together I think. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So just moving on a little bit, um, well, we're kind of still back here in Northern Ireland, but um, historically, you know, looking at recent developments <laughs> connected to historical issues. And I mean, in my lifetime, I'm going back to Northern Ireland when I remember, you know, certain party leaders attacking women yeah. from the outset, just because they ventured into politics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, about going home and you should be at home having children for Ulster and different things like this. So thankfully, it seems we've moved on a little bit. However, there still seems to be barriers there. And I'm wondering, Aoife, just in today's modern age and society, are women still facing considerable pushback? Um, And do you think they have more confidence because of organisations like yourselves um, who stand up to this level of misogyny than they would have had previously? And that's more encouraging, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, I think that there's still misogyny, but the outright, you know, women don't belong in politics. Misogyny is not really there anymore, thank God. I mean, hopefully, in the majority. Yeah. Um, women aren't being told like this is not the place for you which is great but I mean there's still sexual harassment there's still women being talked over like um, I spoke to a counsellor for one of our interviews and she is a counsellor in Balmina Mm -hmm. and she said that her chamber is absolutely horrific it's um very male dominated and she said okay. that when she speaks she just feels like she's being gaslit by like 20 people at once like it's, i've heard yeah. that before at local level working yeah. with local councillors here they mention it on the side they don't raise it yeah but it's almost like they're so used to it yeah and it's only when they're working for years and years they build a little bit of confidence to address it yeah but i can imagine that was very scary and you know unsettling when you first start off in politics yeah so Especially if you're a young woman yeah. as well. There's that added layer of like ageism as well as the sexism. Absolutely. Um, and then I think, yeah, uh, organisations like 5050 NI and then, you know, it's equivalent in the UK. 55th Parliament elect her mm-hmm. and then Women for Election in the South like definitely mm. are helping. And then also helping in the sense that when you get more women into politics, there's a more like a sisterhood. Yeah. Like um, so many politicians have said to me, you know, the women from other parties on my council, right. like it's I don't know what I would do without them. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's Brilliant. nice to see them like cross party, party lines. Yeah, and that's like, fantastic. Yeah. And women are actually like statistically shown to be better at working cross party and working collaboratively, which mm. is great in general, but even better for Northern Ireland. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We need this. <laughs> yeah. We need cross party um, cooperation. So, yeah, women. like. Giving people the confidence and then as you get more in, it's kind of a snowball effect then because you've got the sisterhood and you feel yeah. more comfortable. Yeah. We actually want to start like a women in politics network so that women can have like like kind of like a peer circle. Fantastic. Women can share their experiences and if they have any issues, they can kind of like, you know, band together. Um, Fantastic. Um, yeah. It's about collaboration and as you For said, sure. a sisterhood and having people yeah. to rely on and people who understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you're not just isolated. Yeah. So obviously you were talking about the historical past and the movement now, but you can't talk about now without talking about social media. And I was just wondering your take on social media, how it affects women in politics, entering politics, whether it's a good thing by highlighting misogyny, sexual assault, um, or whether it's a way for people to, you always see these Mm. crude comments from politicians, you see it from the public as well. Is social media a good thing for women in politics or is it a bad thing? I don't think it's very specifically good or bad because 
it's good in the sense that women have access to their politicians in the way that they wouldn't have normally had. Mm -hmm. And I see that great for, you know, young women seeing female politicians and like seeing that that is something that women can do. And then they're seeing all the great work that these women do. So that's great. And then also, like you said, if they're having negative experiences, they can share that online and we can expose it. But then that access also is a negative because like, misogyny has access to politicians in a way that it didn't before i mean the stories that women have told me about the the messages that they get Mm. it's absolutely horrific it's like super misogynistic and it's also just really creepy (laughs) like Mm. um young counselors saying that men will call them up and like make up an issue and say like you need to come to my house and sort this out like no wow um (laughs) a woman told me once that she was up late at night breastfeeding her child and then she started getting all these creepy messages like oh you're up late and she's like feeding my child (laughs) leave me alone wow it's startling but yeah that's where we see a lot of it being shared so i think in one way it's good to have the message there but nonetheless when you're on the receiving end of that how how bad must that feel and how you know discouraging yeah i really think that more needs to be done because this is violence against women it online is. yeah um i mean the women's sector in northern Ireland have been trying to get a violence against women's strategy for yeah. a long time and if Still we do finally get it i really want to make sure that online violence yeah. has yeah. to be included yeah it has to be included yeah. Um, and just there we were saying, I suppose you we were saying, you know, there's no, we don't have the same level of misogyny just in general in terms of women entering politics. But I th- it's funny how in just looking to Ireland and Irish law at the moment around the 1937 constitution where <laughs> for years it has um, the article where, you know, it's enshrined that a woman's place is in the home and not at work, not at work at all. So um, this came to light because uh, t- the Taoiseach Micheál Martin had to deal with um, Minister Helen McEntee, who's the Minister for Justice, who announced, I think she was announced her pregnancy in December last year and she was due to go off on maternity leave in May. And there's no provision for that at all, paid maternity leave for somebody that senior. Other yeah. public officials, of course, yes, it's provided for. But this is a first in Irish history that a woman has become pregnant during her term. So there was a whole big almost a crisis yeah. <laughs> verging on a crisis about well what do we do here this woman's about to have her baby <laughs> so it's brought to light the question which has been raised hundreds of times before him in de Valera's constitution about women working at home you know we remember far back teachers once they became pregnant pretty much lost their job yeah. and so this conversation is arising and thankfully minister helen mcintee is off on her six months paid maternity leave but wow what a shocking you know it's crazy you know a world we live in when we're still back in 1937 well in ireland at least so i mean yeah women in politics at that senior level face serious <coughs> challenges it seems yeah and um, how did you view that or how have your organization been looking at, at I think case? it just really highlights how that institution was not made for women to be part of it you know mm-hmm. like if no one ever thought of maternity leave it's because they didn't think there was going to be women there <laughs> um, I, I didn't even know that, that yeah it's terrible said. and then in uh, the UK Stella Creasy had a baby and yeah. she wasn't going to get maternity leave and she was gonna take a legal case against the government mm-hmm. and they have like recently introduced a maternity leave provision but it's only for front benchers 
So right. it's not for backbenchers, which doesn't make any so sense. These, is, these are our policy makers and legislators. And, yeah. you know, it's just very, very shocking. But I think it's great that these things are reason. People are genuinely startled by it. Like even you saying, Jack, you weren't aware no, of that level. Yeah. But it is, it's very, um, it's still quite shocking. And obviously that needs to be removed from the Constitution, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And we're hoping that um, organisations are getting there to do that. But um, there's other people as well, I suppose, and just moving on to kind of, I suppose your organisation is very much inspiring younger women as well to get into um, politics. And people are very engaged. They're engaged in social media. You know, there's so many reports about, um, just will not focus too much on on the DUP there and Arlene Foster, but there's the reports and comments around her being removed or leaving her office, let's say. There's such misogyny embedded in it. Mm -hmm. And because she was a woman and you hear a lot about emotional, she was given in too easily Mm -hmm. and everybody against her were men in her party, it seems. Yeah. How do young women look at that and how do they feel and how maybe does your organisation kind of I think it's it's really it's hard because also there was all these comments about how like, oh, she can like focus on her home life and stuff. Like when have you ever heard someone say that about a male politician, which is crazy. I did, yeah. That's yeah. what was said, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. At least now she can go home and focus on her family. Yeah, like wild. <laughs> um <laughs> also I think that all of this, like she was given in too easy, she's not hard enough. It's it again just shows how politics is a male institution, that you have to act like a man to be taken seriously almost like women have been shown that they're better at collaborating they're better at reaching mm-hmm. consensus so it's not a bad thing to be able to compromise uh, mm-hmm. and, and reach a consensus like you're not giving in you're not you know yeah, it's not a bad your... thing and then when you say it if she did act the opposite of what, what she's been accused she would be accused of being a bad person to be accused yeah. of being yeah. too strong so women are put down for being compromising too much and then if she acts the opposite way they're put down for being yeah, that as well exactly, so, and yeah. that's because she's a woman yeah, and, yeah. She's t- yeah, and she's cold and if it was a man it would be a strong leader exactly, exactly. Described as. the way Theresa May I can think of coming up to you know when before Boris became leader it was the same thing yeah. I mean she couldn't do right for doing wrong mm-hmm. exactly yeah. so we witnessed that a lot one woman I've been watching really closely is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez yeah. if I can mention that <laughs> just, she's done so many she's of these amazing. speeches and she's just rattled people to their bones Mm -hmm. leaving senators and congressmen absolutely shocked and dumbfounded because she stood up and publicly shamed them and embarrassed them for serious comments and misogyny people like her how do you know does she i suppose she's a big influencer and somebody who your organization would look to but how can we get women to that level where they're as focused Um, as as her yeah she's definitely like the idea she's the ideal like she's amazing and she also you always she's so genuinely cares like that's why she's in politics because Mm -hmm. she cares and like that's why people should be in politics Mm -hmm. so what we're trying to get more women into politics because there's so many women out there that really care about particular issues. They also have experiences that men will never have. I mean, I spoke at a UUP event recently and there was lots of women who had, you know, disabled children and Mm -hmm. they were saying about uh, local playgrounds not being accessible. And like those are, because women are still the primary caregivers, there are experiences that men don't have. So women have so much to give. Like, um, so they can be like mm-hmm. AOC, you know, they they can mm-hmm. be these great politicians if only they knew that they were allowed to, that yeah. they have the confidence <laughs> yeah. that, you know, this this door is open to you. So that's what we're all about. We're like, 
because there's so many women that already work in their community mm -hmm. and do so much work in, in community groups and th they would make fantastic counselors but Absolutely. they like it doesn't even occur to them you no, know it wouldn't so yeah that's what we're all about we're like if you're already doing all this work you should be doing it and getting paid for it as a counselor you know like you could be making such a difference um yeah so she's a real inspiration and there's really? so many women that could replicate that but they just don't have the confidence and it's yeah. so sad yeah it is and just from your jack you do a question just about yeah. your career path as well and maybe because we're lawyers in Thomas <laughs> <laughs> here we've yeah. all studied or dabbled in the law in some yeah. way um yeah so obviously we're talking about women here but it's a a group it needs to be a group of us that can yeah. support women so how can we as a group as people support women and girls considering going into politics and is i know you're going down the, you're down the legal route and so are we. Is that a good path to get into politics? Um, I think we can support girls by having better political education in school. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I didn't know anything about politics until I was 20 and randomly doing a law degree because I thought, oh, that'll get me a job, mm. you know, <laughs> and then I ended up loving it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, get better political education. That's actually something I want to do is do workshops with girls school age yeah. um my partner is a teacher so he's like this oh. is what you need to do i'll <laughs> help you do it um, tips for you yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so yeah better political education i think the law is a good route because it's so intertwined with yeah. politics mm -hmm. but also i think the social sciences are mm -hmm. a really good route I, th I personally think everyone in politics should have some kind of grounding in the social sciences like i did a law degree and i'm, I'm actually going to do my phd in law <laughs> next year but i don't consider myself a lawyer i consider myself an anthropologist kind of so yeah. I think so that that socio-legal yeah. aspect is bringing really it good. all together as well yeah. because a lot of the guests we've had on they happened to and I don't think it was their intention but the kind of intersection there between law and politics became very apparent yeah, yeah. so they're going to be on the show um for this season as well so it's just an interest in that we come across it quite a, a lot but um just with your organisation then, what what's the future? What Once we've opened up again a little bit? Um, yeah, what are the plans for 50-50? Yeah, I? so the big plan this year is to get the training events up and running. So I'm designing those at the minute. Uh, hopefully they'll be sort of by the summertime mm -hmm. going. Um, and then in the next year, we want to add on the school um political education in schools and we also want to do some more things to get girls engaged in politics so like maybe essay competitions or an yeah. all-girls debating contest would be fun Fantastic. I think yeah, yeah. Um, and then also awareness season we've got the election next year so we really want to be making sure that women are on the ballots mm -hmm. for that doing lots of awareness season campaigning um, and just sort of you know highlighting which parties are doing well and which parties aren't doing well mm -hmm. just so people are informed yeah, you know yeah, yeah so that's what we want to do the research there to back up your yeah. work which is fantastic um just one thing that i'll go back on there that i, I wanted to ask um and i've noticed it as somebody else said it on, one, on our show there recently as well about women's issues and i'm saying this very loosely okay so it, they don't just affect women. None of these things do. They yeah. affect everybody. But when we're talking about um, matters like um, uh, currently now in Northern Ireland, the mother and baby homes, the institutional yeah. institutionalization of women and their children, survivors of rape as well, um, and also um, issues around reproductive health care. Do you feel that these issues that are, you know, traditionally associated with women only are being pushed forward 
and uh, worked on for the first time ever, even though these are long overdue to be debated, because women seem to be leading the way when it comes to discussion, discussing these matters. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do. There's actually research to suggest that there's a critical mass of 30%. So once you reach 30% and above, women's rights become on the agenda with if you have 30% mm-hmm. women. Um, and I mean, with the new domestic violence bill, like I don't think that's a coincidence that that has happened after mm. Stormont reached thirty percent women. You know, because mm-hmm. there's actually people there to fight yeah. its corner. Um, yeah, for sure, I think that that has happened because mm. there's been more women. I think that's it. really interesting, just to watch how that develops. You know, yeah. anywhere, I guess that's yeah. just. So, I suppose the last question that we ask all of our guests and I suppose it's around activism and you yourself have not shied away from that (laughs) you obviously fell in love with an area and you've been very focused on that but you've noticed huge problems and huge gaps and you sought to address them through setting up your organization how would you encourage others to do that not just in respect of the area that you work in but in general so younger people or people who want to really make their voice heard or represent others what Um, words of advice do you have yeah I would just find what it is that you are really passionate about I mean there's other we're all passionate about a lot of things like you know I'm also Mm -hmm. really passionate about mental health and Mm -hmm. domestic abuse but this is the one thing that I feel like is my big issue yeah so just find that big issue I mean if you have it um and then I would say just get involved in organizations that already exist just Mm -hmm. to see how it's all done because when I lived in London I volunteered for 55th parliament Mm -hmm. Um, and obviously I wouldn't have been able to do this if I hadn't had the experience of yeah. like how an organisation is actually run. Yeah. And I still feel a bit lost sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, get involved in stuff that's already out there. Volunteer for 5050 and I if we need you in the future. Do you hear that everybody? <laughs> we need um, volunteers. Uh, yeah, get involved. Uh, do your research. Read a lot. I think like yeah. you never be educated enough on these issues. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and just... Um, Find your voice, get on social media and find like uh, people who are in the same like-minded sort of, yeah, people like-minded and peers people. who can support Yeah, like you. a little community because I know like social media can be really daunting and really scary, but um, I think when you find like your group of people, it makes so. it so much more comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. We'd be lost with that. And even the area of work that we're in, we've just got a great network of practitioners and different people, not even yeah. just lawyers, but people who work in the areas of immigration. Or yeah. t- you'd, be lo- you'd be absolutely lost without that support. That's so true, yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, managing that with all of what you do. I mean, it must be tough going at times with. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But you're getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, it's been fantastic having you on, Aoife. And the organisation will just just go from strength to strength. It's fantastic. We'll be following it really closely and seeing what comes up. And also, um, I think you're doing it all at a really crucial time. It's just very, very timely. And um, we wish you the absolute best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. I think I need it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. But thank you for coming on. And we'll definitely keep in touch to see how things are going. Thank you so much. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. This podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio. Interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how? Granite Podcast Studio can help. Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. 
For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.